from the Mildewed Studios of Univest at the Lehigh Valley Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another failed cucumber episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks. You bet, you bet your garden. Have you had problems growing cucumbers? I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and on today's show, I'll name the top three suspects, suggest some creative corrections, and explain how sunflowers might help save the day. Plus, deer-proof early spring bloomers, and your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and miraculously mundane mediations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you making a proud peck of pickles right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in the Christmas City. Ding, dong, ding of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Yes, I am losing it, but that's been happening for a long time. All right, we got a couple of special things on our show today. The question of the week is about cucumber problems, and we will try to include uh, most of the possible problems you can have growing cucumbers and help you identify the specific issue you're having trouble with. We'll also talk to my old friend Barry Glick about a very underused spring bloomer that is deer proof. And we're going to start out with a double. That's right. We're going to talk to two people with the same problem, kind of at once, but, you know, going back and forth. So I want to welcome uh, Deb from Quakertown and Paul from Drexel Hill, PA. And they both emailed us um, within a short period of time about wanting to transplant their asparagus beds. So let's start with Deb. Um, Deb, now, are you the one whose asparagus bed is, has become heavily shaded? Yes, yes. It's in a you know an area that that I didn't really plan on it being shaded by. Oh, okay. So I was going to say to... you didn't plan on getting any asparagus out of it. Well, it was a long time ago, <laughs> six years ago. Anyway, but I want to move to and make a, a bigger, a larger bed. Okay. It's a two by eight, and it started with six crowns, and now it's six years old. So I want to go to a four by eight. Okay. Now let me ask you. Um, do you get asparagus? Yes. So the shade is coming from a deciduous tree? Well, it's not really, that's not really that big of an issue, to be honest with you. You're just tired um, of it being it's there. Really, yeah, and it needs to go to a bigger spot. Okay. Um, Paul, why, do, why do you want to transplant your asparagus? So I planted mine in the center of a bed in a single row before I realized that it grew so tall and kind of ferned out. And right. it doing so, it shades the rest of the bed and nothing wants to grow there. Uh-huh. Okay. So I, I need to I need to move it 
so I can get the use of that bed back and I'm going to change up. I've got a couple of beds and I'm going to add a few more. Gotcha. Okay. Back to Deb. Um, how would you feel about leaving the existing bed alone and starting a new, new bed with fresh crowns? Well, I think I'd be okay with that. Um, but it is a little bit shady, so. But uh, if you get asparagus, it doesn't matter. <laughs> that's true. You know, that's true. Asparagus so, yeah, is, yeah. is not a flowering crop. So always uh, non-flowering crops can get by with less sun than uh, plants that need to produce flowers and then fruits. And I'll suggest a huge advantage mm -hmm. um, to this. Actually, I can think of a hundred advantages. Um, when you transplant asparagus, which I'll get to the point, can be done, um, you know, you kind of shock the plants. And mm -hmm. uh, you're probably not going to get any kind of a good harvest for a year or two. So by okay. allowing the existing bed to continue growing, you'll not only get more asparagus more quickly, it won't be interrupted in any way. Now, are, are you growing um, an all-male variety or one of the heirlooms like Martha Washington? Mm, it's the purple kind. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I think it's Martha. <laughs> um, well, Martha Washington is an old variety. Well, it does it produce berries? Um, yes. Yes? Well, then um, I see. I suggest you investigate uh, the, quote, all-male varieties, um, the classic uh, variety of which is Jersey Knight. You'll find a lot of these things have uh, Jersey attached to their name. Then, not only will you have your continuous harvest uninterrupted, but you can do taste testing. You can see you know, mm. well, I really like these all-male varieties, or I like Martha better. But you'll have two mm -hmm. different types of asparagus coming in, because it sounds like you're becoming an asparagus fiend. Right. Yeah. All right. For sure. You think about that, and I'll be back. Paul, what are For we sure. going to do with you? <laughs> <laughs> How many crowns did you put in the ground? I did it all from seed. Um whoa and let it go to two years mm -hmm. it's it's basically there's a apparently a row that is about five feet long mm -hmm. and it produces probably five or six pounds of asparagus throughout its harvest time you're harvesting within the first two years no no i planted these about five years ago oh, okay you know i used to poo poo planting asparagus from seed, but I've recently seen research uh, that asparagus from seed actually um, produces a a edible asparagus a little bit faster, which baffles me, but that's 90% of the world. So, okay, um, to move, and you obviously can't leave this here and just start a new bed. You got well, I, I could. Um, what I've been doing is basically putting stakes in the ground and kind of tying it so it's kind of caged mm -hmm. a little bit to keep it from ferning out over the entire bed. Mm -hmm. But it still creates quite a bit of shade. And um, have you thought about companion planting then? 
as far as a, a how do you mean? Uh, planting something like lettuce in the shade of the fronds that appear midsummer. Um, I had done, I did, I did radishes on one side of it and mm -hmm. uh, turnips to the other side. The bed is basically seven foot square. Mm -hmm. And then I, once the turnips were done, I put in a, a eggplant and they did okay, but it just seems like they're struggling with the, you know, with the asparagus kind of, overshadowing everything right so the old rule is roots and shoots for shade and flowering plants need sun so asparagus was an exceptionally poor choice um but uh, things like salad greens potatoes um garlic plants that do not flower can get by with a little more shade so um, I will explain to you the basics and then you two can figure out exactly what you're going to do. Um, asparagus can be transplanted and it can be transplanted successfully. Um, it has to be done while the plants are dormant, um, either in the late fall when the fronds turn brown or early in the spring before the first spears emerge. Um, I don't grow asparagus because I don't have the room. Um, uh, Deb, uh, how easy or hard is, do you think it's gonna be to find the crowns? In the spring? Well, no, I mean. You it, mean oh, you mean my crowns? Oh yeah, it, it should be easy. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, you, mean under, yeah. you know, because you're not, it's not like the fronds come up from the center of a crown. They come up from, you know, asparagus spears. So yeah, it's, but I think that in the raised bed, it should be kind of easy to find the root. Easier. The crowns. Easier. Yeah, uh, easier. Okay. Sorry, easier. So, so <laughs> oh, dear. Um, again, as long as the plant is dormant, you can do this. Obviously, you got to finagle that with soil. You can't do it in frozen soil. The warmer the mm -hmm. soil, the better. So I think ideally, fall would be the better time. Um, fall planted crops simply do better than plants uh, put in in the spring. But either way, what you want to use is a garden fork. Do not use a shovel or a spade. This is kind of like digging for potatoes. You want to get, use the fork to get underneath. And then when you get to a crown, you'll be able to feel it. And if there's resistance, um, go archeological, you know, uh, move some soil away, try to get as much of the whole root system as possible. But you also don't have to get it all. You can, you know, kind of unintentionally root prune these plants and they'll be fine. But again, plants that have been moved like this are gonna take a couple of years. It's like starting over again. The only rule really is be as careful as you can and do it while the plants are dormant. All right, Paul, any questions? So once these are transplanted, you're going to have to wait a couple of years. Yes. Okay. And which is why I'm recommending that both of you keep your existing beds, plant new ones. And Paul, you know, once the 
uh, once the fronds have started to lose their greenery, you can cut them down. Yeah, I've already done that this year, and and I took one of your suggestions from, from an earlier show and just laid them back down over top of the existing, you know, what was where the bed is or where the, the row is. So Okay. All right. Deb, any further questions from you? Um, a quick question on what material is best to use for the framework? Well, obviously, uh, cedar uh, lasts long. There are other rot-resistant woods. But you know what I'm seeing more and more of lately are metal frames. These are really cool looking. It's almost like sheet metal. You know, you get them into the ground, mm -hmm. you pound them down, and they hold soil. And especially in a cool climate, I would think they'd be amazing because they would collect some heat during the day and radiate it mm -hmm. back into the soil. I would not recommend it for a hot and sunny climate. But if you look around at metal raised bed kits, the, one of the nice things mm -hmm. is they tend to come um tax and tags included you know you just put it in the ground and fill it up i think you'll be happy with those and is there a certain height that i want for for that because i know with you know i always put mulch on i'm mean not mulch compost on top mm -hmm. it seems almost like you know that just to keep putting it on like every year I yes that's exactly what you should do no they'll come up they'll find their way up and they'll do it quicker and be in better shape because of the extra compost. Now, an inch or two of compost a year is the perfect way to keep them fed. Okay? So, Deb in Quakertown, Paul mm -hmm. in Drexel Hill, thanks so much for being on You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and wish every one of yous a happy and safe holiday of your choice. I'm your ho-ho-ho host, Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, which right now is the Christmas City, cats and kittens. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. From the studios of Univest at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we're going to cure your cucumber problems. And we'll also take more of your fabulous phone calls. But right now, it's time for me to welcome a very special guest, my old friend, Barry Glick who runs Sunshine Farm and Gardens, or Sunshine Farm Gardens, yes, um, way up in, uh, the, in the direct middle of nowhere. And I have a special reason for inviting Barry to be on the show today. Uh, Barry, welcome to You Bet Your Garden, man. Hey, Mikey, it's been about 30 years since the last time I was on the show. You were at WHYY. <laughs> well, the show's only been around for 25, but, uh, you know. Seems like a lot longer than that, man. Yeah. So one uh, 
about a month ago, uh, I was answering a listener question about plants that bloom very early in the spring. And then I remembered your favorite plant, but I could not latch onto it. It was, it was like one of those crane things where you try to grab candy or a stuffed animal. It just kept slipping out of my mind. But I remembered your name. I remembered the name of your farm. And it was just like, you know, halfway home, I'm driving along, and thank God I didn't have a passenger because I just suddenly screamed, Hellebores! It's Hellebores! So I thought it was long past time uh, to get you on the show uh, to praise uh, this flowering plant that, um, will you tell people when they bloom and you can reassure them that deer don't eat them? Well, it depends on where you are as to where they bloom. Um, I've got a lot of people that buy them on the West Coast, and in Southern California they bloom in December. <clears throat> but for us here in the mountains of West Virginia, where we're zone 5, we've been down to minus 27, that's how hardy these plants are, they could bloom uh, end of January, beginning of February, beginning of February, but their peak bloom is between mid-March and mid-April in Zone 5. Even even in Philly area, um, I'd say mid-March through mid-April. Now, uh, this is your specialty plant. Your nursery produces lots of other plants. But uh, what made you a hellebore fanatic? Well, I guess you could say it was the uh, deer situation here. We have 35 headed deer come through the farm every night, and they'd eat the paint off your car if they could, mm -hmm. and they're absolutely voracious. They'll, they're not afraid of people. They're not afraid of plants. They'll try anything. And I have now, in the last 35 years, built up my stock of mature seed-producing hellebore plants to six acres and every single one was planted from a two-inch pot over the last 35 years they have never taken a single bite out of a hellebore now what do you think it is does it taste bad no i i don't know I, yeah i guess it does i mean you know i bit into it once because everybody said oh they're poisonous they're poisonous <laughs> but you know yeah. You can't get past the bitter taste, and people would say, oh, the, maybe it's the leathery foliage. But no, my, I, I had 450 cultivars and species of rhododendrons and azaleas once, and they destroyed every single one of them. Oh, yeah. I had 300, I had 300 antique and species roses, and I think there's three left, so they ate them, thorns and everything. Mm -hmm. So it's not the tough leathery green foliage. It's obviously some type of uh, alkaloid or principle in the leaves. And I always talk about when I grow up and have time, I'm going to <laughs> take a handful of leaves, put them in a blender with maybe some alcohol or something like that, and make a solution and see if I spray that on other plants, if it created the same type of principle and they would leave other plants alone. But now when it comes to other plants, we've resorted to seven and a half foot deer fencing mm -hmm. and I've got acres acres of fenced-in areas where we grow our trilliums and hepaticas and other 
sensitive plants. Uh, the only thing they don't bother that's up in the same league as hellebores. And, and we should tell people the common name. They're known as Lenten roses because of the time of year that they bloom. And they're native to the Balkans, and a couple species are native to the British Isles, but mostly mainland Europe and the Balkans. And what we have now are hellebores uh, that are hybrids of hybrids. So instead of calling them the oriental hellebores or hellebores orientalis, the accepted nomenclature now is hellebores exhybridus. So what is the best time of year to install these plants? Anytime the ground's not frozen. I'm a big fan of spring planting. I think that fall planting was something devised by garden centers that didn't want to have a, a large stock of merchandise overwintering. Obviously, these plants are available in different sizes that reflect the age of the plant. Um, yeah. They're long-lived plants, so if you're growing them from seed, it's going to be three to five years before they start flowering, but then they're going to flower for the next hundred years after that. Your facility, um, Sunshine Farm and Garden, is uh, is wholesale only? No, no. We have people coming from all over the place. Uh, if you love plants, you're welcome here. Okay. Um, and you ship as well, I got to presume. All over the world. We've shipped and had visitors from every first world country. And, and some third world countries, actually. And your a website is sunfarm.com? S-U-N-F-A-R-M dot com, yep. Barry, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. All right, brother. Take care. See you soon. Bye-bye. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi. Hi, Mike. Hi, Christy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being had. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm very excited. I'm a big fan, so this is huge. Okay, great, great. We'll um, we'll disappoint that emotion very quickly. <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt it. Uh, where are you, Chris? I am in Bucks County, PA, about 30 miles north of Philadelphia. Okay, sure. Bucks County, beautiful area. Mm-hmm. Horse country. Yeah, very pretty. Yep. I moved up from Philly about a year ago, so I went from a little concrete backyard to a one-acre property. So I could ask you a million questions, but I have one in particular. Yeah, Green Acres is the place to be. Exactly. <laughs> where, where where were you in Philly? I was in South Philly, um, 
just kind of close down to the stadiums, so pretty far south. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a that's mm-hmm. a, a neighborhood that I can't really relate to. To me, South Philly is along Passyunk, you know. Yeah, I was like on the West Passyunk side, so just you know, across the across the avenue, if you will. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, uh, what can we do for you? So I moved into a house that has some really fabulous established blueberry bushes. Um, we have three high yielding blueberry bushes, and I, the first year that we were here, um, just keeping up with all the weeding and everything has, you know, like all the other garden beds in the yard, um, gets a little overwhelming. And so, um, in kind of an opposite fashion, I actually expanded the garden bed and added raspberry bushes and blackberry bushes as well and finished it up to make it look nice and pretty. Okay. Now, I'm wondering no, no. if it's possible. Now, before okay. we go any further, blueberry uh-huh. bushes are bushes. Yes. They will get taller. Yes. They will get wider, but they won't pull themselves out of the ground and roam around at night. Raspberry yes. canes and blackberry mm-hmm. canes do not stay where you want them to be. They are going to trail yes. all over the They're area crazy. and make a yep. wonderful, delicious mess. <laughs> exactly. But, but so more, I have been no, 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 not yet. Those. More importantly, <laughs> um, yeah, this is my show, Chris. I'm talking here. I got the talking <laughs> stick. <laughs> Oh, dear. Um, More importantly, blueberries, as you know, have a high acid requirement. They need their soil to be so acidic, uh, it hurts if you put a cut finger into the soil, whereby blueberries and raspberries don't need that and may not thrive and prosper if you give the blueberries what they want. So you got to be careful with these kind of plantings. There is no, to the best of my knowledge, there is no more acid-loving plant that we grow than blueberries. You really, they like it down at like a four. Okay. You know, whereby you know, neutral is seven. Mm-hmm. So I'm just warning you. Okay. You know, if your blueberries uh, leaves over the years start to turn yellow, the soil is not acidic enough. And if the other plants Got suffer, it. the soil is acidic enough. So just be Got just it. be careful okay. out there, kids. Okay, your Got turn. Got it. No, that makes a lot of sense. So, so to add, you know, more confusion to the pile, um, I was wondering because I have a eight by four foot bed of just. Um, strawberries and obviously the runners go crazy Mm -hmm. is it totally insane to use strawberries as uh ground planting there to kind of a get more strawberries and b limit the weeding in this very large like 25 foot berry bed um i think the red cross would come and provide your plants with blankets chocolate and a lawyer And what? You already have a strawberry bed. Why do you think they prevent weeds? That's probably the biggest task you have with your strawberry bed. I mean, not. They do enough ground cover that it does help keep the weed control. Whereas this bed, where I just have 
you know, soil and mulch and compost is um, quite weedy. So just trying to figure out a way, if I could, to limit the amount of additional yard work I am doing and get more strawberries because I have a toddler and she loves strawberries. Right. Um, well, you know the trick of you can uh, grow some of the daughters into like little plastic cups and mm-hmm. then move them to where you want. You got a whole acre. Why are you piling all this up into a a tower of babble, a tower of babbling berries, you know? Because I'm a total garden amateur. That's why, Mike. (laughs) I have no idea what I'm doing. That's why I'm calling you. Oh, and that's why the first years are so much fun. Yes. You know, we just throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm doing right now. So So what I'm going to suggest is you mulch the area with your blueberry bushes um, Mm -hmm. with an inch or two of peat moss covered by an inch or two of nice, high-quality compost. Okay. Now, despite popular belief, compost is as good a weed preventer as toxic wood chips. So this will give your blueberries the acidic soil they need. It'll give them some nice, gentle nutrition. Um, The other plants could care less about weeds. Um, Raspberry canes are sometimes advised as a way to to crowd out weeds because they're bullies. Okay, that makes sense. You know, have you considered... you know, not a strawberry jar, uh, but a strawberry, like, pyramid, like, tower. I have not. Well. But I like that idea. It, it is a great, and it keeps them off the ground. Because no matter what, you have to be losing strawberries to slugs and stuff. You know, Absolutely. Because they are yeah. way down on the ground. But if you get one of these crazy towers where you can grow dozens of runners they're off the ground Mm -hmm. none of the berries are on the ground and if you wrap the bottom of this tower with copper uh, like copper flashing for your roof slugs won't be able to crawl up on it slugs are allergic to copper okay i love this i love this thank you okay so spread out don't pile on I hear you. I hear you. Thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate your time. Oh, it's my pleasure. You have a good season now. Thank you. Oh, and one last question. Um, when do I do the peat moss and the compost? Fall or spring or both? You could do it now. Anytime. Awesome. It's a good answer. All right. Thank you. All right. You take care and good luck. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind all of you with a cut Christmas tree to get that dead thing out of your house while it still has a dozen or so needles left alive. Empty the water tank, put a tarp on the floor, lower the tree onto the tarp, and carry it out that way. But wait, there's more. I'll reveal some great ways to reuse that tree next week. 
I'm your coroner of conifers, Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in the Christmas City of Bethlehem, PA. This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we are in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we will get to the question of the week in which we will help you harvest cucumbers instead of disaster. That'll be fun. But before that, a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Samantha, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for being had, Samantha. Um, How are you? I'm doing pretty well. It's a little bit rainy here in Scranton. Okay. So you're in Scranton, Pennsylvania? Yes. That is correct. Okay. Very you sound very chipper. <laughs> I try to I you know, I try. Yeah. It's a good thing we're talking to you on a rainy day. It might be too much to take otherwise, you know. <laughs> the world needs more people like you. Uh should I call you oh, Sam- well, thank you. Should I call you Samantha, Sam, call you a cab? Doesn't call- matter. Call me a cab. Where are we going? <laughs> Out of Scranton. Um, <laughs> all right. What can we do you for? Um, okay. So I just recently moved into a new house. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as I can tell, there's never been a vegetable garden mm-hmm. and I have a, a huge backyard. Mm-hmm. And so I'm currently trying to figure out what the best way is to remove the turf, uh, so that I can start a vegetable garden. And um, one of the tactics I'm using right now, and I, I'm wondering if, if I'm on the right track, is I have four chickens that are kind of helping me dig around in the turf a little bit. Yeah. And then I'm, uh, I'm moving the chickens every two weeks and then placing cardboard over where they were. And then I, I don't know where to go from here. Okay. Well, or if that's even the correct thing to moving, do. <laughs> moving the chickens around with fencing is called uh, chicken tractor. And it is a great way uh, to prepare a garden because the um, the chickens will peck around and eat uh, bugs and weed seeds and stuff like that and leave behind one of the most natural fertilizers on the planet. Uh, cardboard uh, just at, in and of itself is not going to stop anything. Now, how big a garden are you planning? Um, it's only going to be about like nine by eighteen. It's going to be like an L shape. Um, it's not going to be that big. Um, nine feet by eighteen feet. So yeah, I'm I'm sorry, I'm not saying it right. So it's like there's going to be two. I'm what I'm planning is two row three feet rows in an L shape. Okay. So now, two three feet rows. Now, sorry, go ahead. Do you intend for this to be a raised bed garden? 
I was going. I was trying to do it in the ground. Why? Just uh, because. <laughs> <laughs> Raised beds are always going to work better. It's a little more work up front. Um, but if you if you have a big garden and you tend it all summer long, you're constantly compressing the soil and you're making it harder for the roots of your plants to pick up water and nutrients. Um, the second biggest human cause of plant death is big cloppy feet compressing the soil. So one of the huge advantages of raised beds is you never step on the bed itself. You build it in a style that you can reach the center from either side. So it can be as long as you want, but it be it should be no more than four feet wide. So mm -hmm. take it or leave it, but that's my advice. Now, in terms of, and it's also going to be a lot easier for you um, with the lawn. If you build a raised bed that's eight inches uh, to a foot high, you frame it out. New metal frames are spectacular. Uh, you can use... Uh, like low-grade cedar, um, anything except pressure-treated wood or old railroad ties. And what you would do is you would frame it out. Well, actually, first, you would get a lawnmower, and you would scalp this area down to below ground. You want to see dirt blowing out the back of the lawnmower. Then you would lay down big pieces of cardboard, like they ship refrigerators in and do that and then cover that with your soil mix and you're done. Um, otherwise, if you really want to, and you know, if you're gonna grow sweet corn, you can grow that in flat earth. Uh, sweet corn does not do well in raised beds. It has shallow roots and it falls over. So you can mix and match if you like. Now, uh, to, to answer your question directly, what you would do is you would get a uh, rent a machine or hire somebody. It's called a sod cutter, and, mm -hmm. and it takes out strips of sod. That's how they harvest it to sell sod in the spring. And there might be some areas of your property um, that could use some sod, or you could put up a sign, you know, people can come and take it away. Or you can simply pile it up upside down, and it'll turn into compost in a year or two. Then the chickens go in, because now the subsoil is exposed, and they're going to be killing and eating everything that's bad in there. And then you would, um, you know, let them go at it until you figure you're finished. And um, you can you can do flat earth, or at that point. I would also lay down the, the cardboard and uh, build raised bread frames. You'll, ne you'll never regret having raised beds. Okay. Um, and so for the sod cutter, is that something I should do, I can do in the spring, or should I have already done that? Where are you again? Where'd you say Scranton? Scranton. Um, yes. Cool season grass. Um, you should have done it already. Uh, but since you want to kill it, it doesn't make that much difference. Okay. Fall is the best time to to do that kind of heavy work. But, and, you know, we used to advise people to get a machete or um, 
uh, uh, linoleum knife and cut it out themselves. Boy, uh, that gets old after five minutes. Uh, renting a sod <laughs> yeah. cutter or hiring somebody um, with a sod cutter. And in the spring, um, your sod will have value. Um, pile, pile it up in single pieces um, in the shade and keep it watered. Um, that sod, if it's in good shape, will be very valuable. Okay, cool. All right, and you can always use the eggs. I can always use the what? You can always use the eggs. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> All right, Sam. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. My pleasure. You take care now. Good luck. All right, once again, it is time for the question of the week, which we're calling What's Behind These Cucumber Complications? Julius in Horsham, Pennsylvania writes, I have had success starting cucumbers from seed by putting the seeds directly in the ground. The plants sprout and develop well. They even flower. But just as they are flowering and the fruit is starting to appear, the leaves get yellow spots and then start to wilt. Eventually, the whole plant dies in a week or two's time. Could this be an issue with cucumber beetles? What would it take to remedy the situation? P.S. I plant the seeds in late May after the last frost of the season. Hmm. I would not call this success, Jules. With success, you get cucumbers. With failure, you get egg roll, and a very old egg roll, and you don't get any duck sauce. So unless you've actually seen them, we can rule out cucumber beetles, as the adults are a good size, around a quarter inch long, and appear during the day. You can't miss them. Striped cucumber beetles are the most common form of this pest, and they feed only on cukes and other members of the cucubit family, squash, pumpkins, etc. Spotted cucumber beetles are more common down south. They attack a wide variety of plants and show up much later in the season in the north. Both beetles have similar life cycles. Adults emerge from leaf litter in the spring, and the females lay eggs in the soil around newly installed cucumber plants. After the eggs hatch, larvae emerge and chow down unseen on the roots of the plants. Then they transform into adults who feed on the upside of the plants. In addition to all this physical destruction, they transmit bacterial wilt, a typically fatal disease, i.e. the plants should be quickly destroyed, and squash mosaic virus, which causes the fruits to look ugly and unappetizing. Beneficial nematodes are a great strategy for prevention, as these microscopic predators will seek out the little larvae and destroy them before they can become adults. Other preventative advice is to only install good-sized plants. Don't rush the season. Floating row covers are also advised once you spot the first adults of the season. For more information, read our previous articles on these pests and an informative Wisconsin Department of Agriculture bulletin that we'll link up to. 
But I think we are almost certainly dealing with disease here, specifically a mildew, but not powdery mildew. This disease of warm, humid, and crowded conditions, as its name implies, presents as a white powder on the leaves. It typically does not kill the plants, but can reduce the harvest, and it looks like holy Hades in your garden. Once again, crowding is a major cause, so be sure your plants have room for air circulation between them. You'll get more cucumbers from two plants spaced well apart than from four that you planted too close together. Powdery mildew does not linger in the soil. It is delivered from nearby infected plants by the wind every season. So if your neighbor is ignoring their powdery plants, yell, what? I shouldn't get any pickles because of you? This disease has the most of those popular kitchen sink cures that have been verified effective, including dilute solutions of whole milk and baking soda with oil added. Lots more cool stuff about all of this at Wikipedia. We'll include that link as well. All right, cats and kittens, if you're keeping track at home, the score is two down with one player remaining. Downy mildew, the only plant disease linked to overuse of a chemically scented fabric softener. <laughs> I make joke. Downy mildew is one of a number of similar pathogens grouped under the category water mold and these are nasty creatures. I'm pretty sure this is what's afflicting our listener as the first visible symptoms are chlorotic spots on the leaves, appearing yellow to green at first, then progressing to bright yellow, and then brown and distorted. As always, researchers say the condition is, quote, poorly understood. But plants that are placed out too early in the season suffer the most, as do plants that are crowded. Is that ringing a bell with you guys? A very interesting website called Plantophiles adds the observation that mites, whitefly, and aphids can all infect cucumber plants with mosaic virus. So keep checking both sides of your leaves to see if you can catch sight of one of these little buggers. All right. Bullet point time. Cucumbers are probably the worst plant to put out early in the spring via seeds or plants. It's best to wait until the weather warms up. Plant in full sun with more room between the plants than you think you need. Plant in naturally compost-rich soil. Explosive chemical fertilizers like miracle Grow. Peters, and Osmocote for successive growth that is very attractive to insects that carry disease. Rotate your crops. Never plant cucumbers in the same spot that plants had problems the previous season. Researchers seem to agree that a rotation with sunflowers depresses disease problems. Hmm, sunflowers always cheer me up. Never wet the leaves when you water. Let a hose drip gently at the base of your plants or use drip irrigation. Water in the morning only. 
Don't let your growing plants lie or lay on the ground. Trellis them upward to keep the fruits off the ground and their leaves dry. Remove diseased leaves promptly. They ain't going to get any better. Resistant varieties are available for all these issues. So research your symptoms carefully and choose a variety whose resistance level matches your problem. And finally, raised beds, growing raised beds. Don't be a flat earth gardener. Well, that sure was some interesting information about cucumber protection now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website to read it over at your leisure or your leisure. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you'll always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes. My producer is threatening to give me a matched set of water molds for the holidays if I don't get out of this studio. Woo, we must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please include your location. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he accidentally confiscated his neighbor's interocitor, accidentally pressed the wrong switch, and wound up on the doomed planet Metaluna in Technicolor. Ken Queter is our musical director. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our sound engineer is the always cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and send her your pretty garden pictures to post at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Check it out. It's a great site. Teresa Radke is our peerless princess of profound production. The always lovely Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Judicious Jake Boyer does the video. Our directorial director of direction is the harassed and harried Javier Diaz. Special thanks to our beloved band of carnies, fortune tellers, and card sharks, including Zach the Tack, Jacob Morris, Eric Werner, and anybody else who happens to be hiding out in the control room. Our beloved and bedraggled CEO Tim Fallon has decided that he's going to play Santa this year. And so he's making a list and checking it twice. And I just heard that I may need a lawyer. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I'll be putting up lights and annoying my circuit breakers until I see you again next week. Mm-hmm.